Hey there, welcome back to the program. This is Jonathan with pureandsimplebible.com. So thankful for another opportunity to talk about the Bible with you. And I'm excited about wrapping up this mini-series from the book of 1 Peter on salvation, suffering, and submission. Jimmy Cading is with me again. And last week, if you were joining us there, we talked about salvation specifically on an individual level. This week, we're going to continue in these great themes about corporate salvation, the idea that we're part of a group, we're part of a family. But then we'll also talk about the great themes of suffering and submission and how they go hand in hand. You don't want to miss this. And I really want to encourage you to have paper and pen ready to write down some of these notes write down some of these connections. While I was editing this podcast, I actually had my Bible open in some of the margins. I have one of those wide margin journaling Bibles. And using pencil, not pen, uh, I was able to write down some of these connections in First Peter so that the next time I read through it, these uh, scriptures and the way they are come alive through Jimmy's presentation are really going to be helpful in my daily Bible reading. So I want to encourage you to do that too. So without further ado, let's jump back into the program, shall we? Now, you mentioned in addition to individual, we talked earlier, you kind of already defined it, but there's this idea of corporate salvation, and, and First Peter draws some of that out as well. What, what exactly is corporate salvation, and, and how does Peter help us understand it? Well, while we're saved individually, um, of course, we we have an opportunity and responsibility to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. But um, we are saved into a family which will help to strengthen us when the pressure is on. And Peter's going to remind us of that. Uh, We will not be able to cope by ourselves, isolated, alone. We need to be a part of of, of the fellowship that is going to stay together. And that's part of God's wisdom in designing the church. He didn't just allow us to be born again, but he wants us to be born again into a family, just like the physical family. uh, We are born to have relationships with others to help us grow and mature and endure. So it is in the spiritual relationship, the spiritual family of God. And uh, Peter's going to emphasize the connectivity that we have in Christ. We're individual stones, but we are being put, uh, being built up a spiritual house. We are a priest, a part of a priesthood. Um, we are citizens, a part of a holy nation. We are children, a part of a family, with God as our Father, with brothers and sisters. And uh, what we do in uh, times of crisis, um, well, let me just rephrase that. What would we do in times of a crisis without the family of God? Yeah. And so, let me ask you a let me ask you a, a maybe a situational question. I feel like we're going through something right now. I don't you know I don't know how every congregation is handling this, but with some of our um, suggestions and ordinances to stay socially distant and to not be around anybody really other than the members of your immediate family. I'm not wanting this to be a to turn it into a, a some sort of debate or argument about what churches should do, but I'm just wondering if you could give me a thought. Don't you feel like we're seeing right now a 
testing of this principle about how valuable it is, because the more that I'm apart from my brethren, um, because we're trying to flatten the curve or, you know, keep this virus in check, et cetera, the more I see how much I need to be around people because being on my own is really hard. Well, that's, that's exactly right. And I think this, uh, this COVID crisis that we're all going through has really highlighted the need for connectivity. And uh, we may have taken it for granted, some of us at uh, one time or another, but I I think um, as Peter is reminding his writers, you're about to face um, a problem, a persecution. Many of you are going to feel isolated and alone. You need to gird up the loins of your mind and prepare uh, but don't forget that you are a, a part of a, a brotherhood, a part of a fellowship, yeah. and um, we need each other, and we need to do all, everything we can, even in times of isolation, to stay connected. It's kind of like a kind of like a coal that has um, been separated from the rest of the fire. It, it will right. die out, right. but when it's when it's uh, scooted closer or mixed in with the other embers, then it uh, reignites. And that's what we need. And God knew that. God knew that it was not good for man to be alone. And then when he instituted and created, uh, ordained the the family, but that principle is still true in a larger uh, aspect as well. We need relationships. We need each other and we need to help um, encourage each other and there are different ways we can do that. Of course, mainly we assemble together and worship together and uh, we seek other ways to uh, stay connected. And uh, Peter later on the book is going to talk about um, hospitality and being hospitable mm-hmm. to one another. And uh, we're, we're kind of limited on what we can do um, right now in those uh, aspects, but uh, we, we don't need to forget um to make efforts to reach out, stay connected, and uh, exemplify, demonstrate our love for one another. In times of crisis, stick together, stay together, look out for each other, and uh, look for ways to love and serve each other. I'm curious about, um, you know, maybe the person who does feel like they could uh, make it on their own, you know, somebody who just, they're very self-reliant, um, Peter really seems to emphasize that there's strength in recognizing that it's more than just you. So how, how does Peter in his epistle explain that? And so that we, we don't want to be a loner, but we, we really do want to try to, especially during times of suffering, we want to try to lean on each other. Well, in first Peter five and verses eight through nine, he actually addresses this. He, he reminds his readers of the need to be sober. He says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. So he first begins by warning about the power of the devil. And uh, it's interesting, this is coming from a man who felt like he was strong enough uh, stronger than everybody else. And he said, uh, right. I wouldn't deny you, Lord. Uh, everybody else might, but I'm going to die with you. I'll die for you if need be. And he's the one that actually turns around and denies the Lord three times. 
And he mm-hmm. learns, I suppose, through that experience, just how powerful the devil really is. And he is seeking to devour our faith. And uh, so Peter learns from that. And he says, instead, resist him. Yeah. Um, steadfast in the faith, knowing, and then here's the, the, the connectivity, that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. So Peter lays this foundation of salvation. He encourages by emphasizing both the individual responsibilities we have and the corporate connections that we have in Christ. There's power in knowing you are not alone in going through your suffering. There are Mm. Christians that care for you, that will pray for you, and many of them have gone through something that you have gone through. No matter yeah. what it is, there are there are brethren who have done who have gone through something similar, sometimes maybe worse than or maybe heavier than what you are going through at the present. So reach out to them and know that uh, and if they reach out to you, accept their their help and and know that they care for you and and be encouraged by that. I've said this a few times, I think even on this podcast, but uh, one of the devil's best lies is nobody knows what you're going through. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. this Bible verse and others like it uh, teach us the exact opposite of that, that really we are part of, part of a brotherhood that knows what we go through. And we have a Savior who knows what we go through. And that knowledge that you're not alone, people understand what you're going through, that, that empathy and sympathy is very encouraging. That's right. Very good. Well, uh, let's move on in as far as the big themes. Um, we've talked about salvation, and I, I think it gets its just amount of time. It gets a lot of time because it seems like that if I can uh, remember, you know, hearkening back to that first love of Jesus and what it means to be saved and knowing that I have people who are on my side, I, I, I can get through anything. Uh, but the thing that I got to get through is the suffering. And that's another big theme in First Peter is the suffering that they're going to endure, that, that all Christians may have to endure. So um, what, what should we think about when I look at Peter, or what, when we look at Peter, rather, and um, how does suffering work in this epistle? Well, it's, um, it's as, you, as you said, it's, it's really the core of the book. It's interwoven throughout. These these themes are not necessarily uh, separated from each other. They're just kind of building upon each other. And Peter, First uh, Peter especially, is is like the book of James in many ways. There's so many similarities to it, and he looks on the brighter side of suffering. And it may be surprising to some that Peter doesn't tell the believers how to escape persecution or or how to avoid it, but rather how to endure it. Uh, that's and, a good point. And so uh, the focus is on how to live a godly life in an ungodly world and how to accept trials. So suffering is at the heart of the letter and is one of the most frequently used words in the letter. Mm. And, mm-hmm. and in fact, in First uh, Peter chapter 4 and verses uh, 12 through 13, uh, would you like to read that? Sure. First Peter 4 verse 12 says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake in Christ's suffering, that when his glory is revealed, you also 
may be glad with exceeding joy. Thank you. This is, I think, one of the key passages that help us understand how to endure suffering and really what the what the point of suffering is. And he says, partakers of Christ's suffering, those who love the Lord rejoice when they are counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Acts 5, 41, we see that the uh, early apostles did that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the child of God views suffering for the cause of Christ as an honor. 2 Corinthians 1, 5 speaks of that. And the apostle Paul, even in Philippians 3, verse 10, he spoke of the fellowship of his suffering. There's something about when we suffer for righteousness sake, we we are connected to the suffering of Christ. Right. And you, you highlight how uh, there are actually some things we can learn by the suffering of Jesus. I really like that part. Would you take a minute and, and explain what we uh, when, when we suffer, we got to make sure of a few things. Yeah, when when we suffer, um, well, we can we can suffer and learn how to suffer by looking to Jesus. But when we we suffer, we need to make sure um, that it is not deserved. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, Jesus did not deserve any suffering he received. But in First Peter chapter two verse twenty, he says, "For what credit is it if?" When you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this were you called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. In chapter 4, verse 15 and 16, he says, Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. So when we suffer, we need to make sure that it's not something that we deserve. It's not something that we have coming to us, but that uh, as as Christians, we we are innocent. We are not. Uh, we are not uh, being uh, targeted because of something we have done wrong. We've broken the law, or we deserve that punishment. But our suffering is undeserved. That's what Christ's suffering was like. It was undeserved. What about on when we go looking for it. I mean, it's kind of, you're kind of talking about it there a little bit, but I feel like sometimes, maybe especially on social media, uh, we might be quick to feel like we've been persecuted when really we were poking the bear or not acting a certain way, but then whenever we're treated that way, do you have any off the cuff advice for how, let's just keep it to social media specifically, but maybe how could we uh, navigate the way we speak with others so that we don't feel like we're getting persecuted whenever we're uh, being rash in the way we speak. Well, that's a good point. And I think when you, when you read through first Peter, Peter's attitude, and we're going to get to this in the, the final point, but his attitude and his, his instruction for us to view suffering is with an attitude of submission. And so when we go looking for 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 problems and we we get we get backlash you know we're we're not really following Peter's 
advice. We're not being we're not being submissive. We're not right. being um uh you know, Jesus he didn't he didn't go looking for for suffering. When I think of a Christian, you know, we're living in a world where there's a lot of injustice and there's a lot of things going on that we we don't really agree with. What is our place? And I actually think that the next point will address this because uh, in our suffering, we're not only to make sure we don't deserve it, but we don't avenge it. And so I don't know if you want to jump into that right now or yeah, well, clear break, break or sure. It, it's, I'm glad you, you just kind of pivoted that way. It sounds like your next point's going to answer the question. So right. may, maybe we should just uh, let the notes play themselves out. Okay. So um, the second point then about suffering that Peter is making is that make sure not only that we don't deserve it, but we don't avenge it. And in uh-huh. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, he says, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. So Peter's instruction on how to deal with suffering is actually surprising. Mm-hmm. They, mm-hmm. they go against our human instinct. You know, we want to fight against oppression. We want to respond uh, to wrongs uh, through to injustice with this clenched fist of retaliation. Right. If somebody hits us, we want to hit them back. But all of the, our instincts tell us to fight it, try to stop it. It's it's an in uh, an unjust. Uh, thing that may be coming upon us because we didn't deserve it or we're innocent. But when you suffer without the clenched fist of retaliation, do you know who you become like? Mm. You become like Jesus. I love that. In fact, that's when you see what he says in 1 Peter 3, 9 about not uh, returning evil for evil, reviling for reviling, it's the same language that Peter uses in chapter 2 in verse 23 when he spoke, spoke of Jesus, who when he was reviled did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. So instead of feeling like we have to vindicate ourselves on social media or uh, try to retaliate in some way by getting back to some injustice that has occurred to us, Let's look to Jesus. Jesus was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and yet he suffered silently and submissively. He did not retaliate. Um, When we submit, we are the most like Christ. And that really kind of leads us into the third section that Peter spends a great deal of time on. Okay, well, let me let me uh, summarize the other two for our listeners so that uh, we can appreciate this third one. I really like how your studies laid it out. Um, I feel like next time I read through First Peter, I'm going to appreciate more some of these big themes. But we've talked about salvation. 
and we've now talked um, about suffering. And I, th- I think kind of the natural third theme that, as your notes suggest, is submission, because when you've got Jesus as the example of suffering, we see that his response was submission, like you've said, and so that's going to be ours too. Um, maybe I could ask, what is biblical submission, and how does Peter use it in his letter? Well, biblical submission is, it's not blind submission, but it's an intentional submissive spirit. Mm-hmm. When you look at Jesus, he knew what he, he was doing. He knew what he was facing and he volunteered and he yeah. purposely submitted. He applies the word submission to a number of areas, or Peter does in, in this book. And uh, it's really a, a great practical book that, that touches all aspects of our lives Um, He talks about how as citizens, we are to submit to our rulers, uh, whether it's local rulers or national rulers, in as much as they do not uh, conflict with uh, the law of God. Um, And as servants, he speaks to those who are servants, how they're to be submissive to their masters. And uh, even if they're harsh, even if they're brutal, even if they're, they're not loving, a servant is still to be submissive, even if they're, they don't agree. And we, mm-hmm. of course, don't have that kind of relationship in our society. It's more of an employee-employer type relationship. Right. Right. But we're to be submissive. Um, and then he even talks about the, the home life. And it's really interesting, I think very important, that whenever there's a lot of problems going on in society, that we we understand that um, that can ripple into or affect the the home life and even our right. marriages. And so he addresses submission within the home and how in chapter three, the wife is to be uh, submissive to her husband, even if he is an unbeliever. And, um, and then he, he talks about how Christians are to be submissive to elders who serve and uh, who are are examples to the flock. So it's really kind of an interesting uh, layout and flow of what Peter is doing by laying this foundation of salvation and how we're to endure suffering like Christ mm-hmm. through submission. Mm-hmm. You know, all of those, the ones you mentioned, citizen to ruler, servant to master, wife to husband, Christian to elder. I really like how you you began by saying Christ's submission wasn't this blind acquiescence, but he knew exactly what he was doing in submitting to the hands of men. Um, and so in these ways, I, I, you know, some people might be rubbed the wrong way when they hear wife submit to husband or citizen to ruler, et cetera. But all of these are a willing submission, one where there's uh, one knows exactly what it means and it's being done to God primarily and not just a... Uh, I guess, complete loss of, of one's mm. identity or rights, but rather it's just you're submitting to, to what God has ordained. So that gives me some hope. That's right. And I, I may, may I add this uh, because I think submission is a, it is a difficult thing, but it becomes easier when you have the right perspective. And all of these things, um, all of these areas that we are to be submissive to, um, there's a higher authority that we're submissive to. It's not that we just are submissive to rulers and 
and masters or husbands or elders, but in doing so, we show our reliance upon and our trust in God. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. there is that big picture. Whenever we're short-sighted or we're just kind of uh, uh, limited in our view on problems, uh, we we might fight against them. But if you zoom out and have this big picture, we see that Submiss- submission actually allows us to be more like Jesus and allows us to uh, demonstrate our submission to God. I like that. Now, um, I guess to end this uh, mini-series on First Peter, uh, it might be good to just look at the big picture one final time. That was salvation and then suffering and then submission. And I like how you you bring out that the letter while it began with his authority of his, as an apostle, it ends with his responsibility as an elder. And so when he's talking about submitting to elders, he is an elder. He's uh, putting the spotlight on this this office. Would you mind just taking a minute and explaining, you know, the okay. just how this wasn't an accident? Yeah, I don't think it was an accident or an, just incidental. Um, when the church is facing a crisis or a time of testing, Uh, When there's a need of enduring and maturing, the church needs to have strong spiritual leadership to help navigate her through the uncertainty. Mm -hmm. And so Peter is going to uh, actually end the way James ends his book by putting the spotlight on elders. And um, churches that don't have uh, leadership... um, in a time of uncertainty and confusion, they're going to have, they're going to be more susceptible to division or susceptible to uh, conflict or confusion. And, and so uh, I think again, God in a subtle way is giving us a, a, a wonderful pattern to show the need for biblical leadership in, Mm -hmm. uh, in this uh, period of, of testing. And, um, I'll just say that he concludes by noting a paradox of submission. When you read first Peter and he's talking about submitting to rulers and masters and, and a husband and, and submitting to one another, um, he, he brings out the point that when we are submissive, we're actually exalted. And uh, in chapter five in verses six through 11, He says, therefore, and that's always a connector. He always connects uh, doctrine with duty, with the word therefore. Mm -hmm. And so he says, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. And then he adds, but may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect perfect, established, strengthen, and settle you. Mm. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And I love the contrast, the temporary with the eternal. And that's really the big picture. Well, thank you, brother. And this has been excellent. I've uh, enjoyed this conversation on 1 Peter. I love overviews. And so for me, it encourages me for when I'm reading and studying uh, that big picture helps me make sense of some of these, uh, you know, zoom ins where you're looking at a specific verse and you see uh, something in here about uh, 
suffering for a little while and how you're going to be perfected. You know, when you've got a good idea of the big picture, it all, all kind of falls in place, right? That's right. And I appreciate so much you uh, inviting me and allowing me to participate in your program. And this is a study that the congregation here in Oakdale uh, has gone through. We, we know, knowing the, the times that we're living in, the difficulties and the trials that people are facing and various, uh, uh, various uh, obstacles that we are enduring here. Um, it has been really a tremendous study for us and a, a great encouragement for us. And it's just a reminder of how relevant the word of God is no matter when or no matter where you live. And so it's still alive and it's still working and applying to to our situation, no matter the the case. So thank Amen. you for having me. I enjoyed being with you. Always enjoy being with you, Jonathan. Appreciate your your great work. Jimmy is a dear friend, and I'm so thankful that he was willing to come on the program and talk with me for a time about the epistle of First Peter. I love Bible book overviews. One of my favorite ways to study is looking at the big picture. you got to do both, right? You've got to have the studies where you're going to delve down deep into what maybe a specific verse or a paragraph is saying, but you've also got to look at the big picture because if you don't know that First Peter is about Christians in the first century who are about to be persecuted, then Peter's message of salvation, submission, and suffering— really will not be as flavorful and rich to our appreciation and understanding of some of those verses that we look to for inspiration and comfort. So anyway, I love overviews, and I'm grateful for Jimmy and for him being here to do it with us. So always remember that you can go to the website, and there's a lot of information and free resources for you to download and use. So check it out. And until next week, this is Jonathan Edwards. Always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. We're willing. See you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you. Well, his rules in some trouble.